0: Thank you so much for listening to the Four Generations podcast by Generations Church. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. In this episode of the podcast, Pastor John discusses the power of priority in his annual Making Room teaching series. Each week, we will encourage you to respond to Scripture and the Spirit. Let's get into this week's teaching. As we transition to our teaching time, we do have Bibles available for you uh, as we continue our Making Room series. In fact, uh, one of my favorite parts of this series that John has put together is he's going through some minor prophets. And so some of these books of the Bible, maybe you're like, I didn't even know that was a book in the Bible. That's okay. That's kind of the fun parts of this series is we get to learn together as we explore God's word. And so this morning, we're going to continue our Making Room series, and I'm going to be reading the scripture from Obadiah Verse fifteen. There's only one chapter in Obadiah too, so if if you've got a Bible or you're scrolling through your phone, it's kind of in the first half of of the Bible, and it's little teeny tiny book. So if you're just flipping pages in your physical Bible, you might skip it. So maybe use that table of contents as well. Let me read Obadiah verse fifteen and pray for us as John comes to prepare to teach us. For the day of the Lord is near. Against all the nations. As you have done, so it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. Let me pray for us. God, this morning, uh, we have just found ourselves here, whether watching online or in this space. Meet us here this morning, Lord. Speak to us, guide us. Whatever emotional state we find ourselves in, whatever mental state we find ourselves in, speak to us. Help us hear from you. Help your word become known to us. Help your son, Jesus, become known to us. Thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
1: As Kyle said, we are in Obadiah. Yes, we are back to the Minor Prophets, not minor in terms of purpose or writing or substance of what it is, just minor in the fact that it's a chapter and fits on one sheet of the paper. It's not dragged out over 50 chapters, and maybe that's the reason why I like the Minor Prophets and I keep going back to it. I don't know, kind of relate to it a little bit. But yes, this is the shortest book in the Bible, and Obadiah is a fun one that we get to dive into today. A little bit for you to know about this is Obadiah acts as kind of a series of poems of divine judgments. I know, joy, right? Yay, that sounds so fun. Against a nation called Edom. Now, who in the world is Edom? Basically, they are a neighboring nation to Israel. And not just the fact that they're a neighboring nation and the fact that they share a border. But the important thing about this nation, and one of the reasons why they're being written to, is they have a shared ancestry. So if you go all the way back to Genesis, you go from Abraham, you go to Isaac, and he has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Out of there, you get the two nations of Edom, out of Esau, and out of Jacob, you get Israel. Now, you would think, brothers, these nations might like each other they might get along really well. They do not whatsoever. Let's just say uh, Jacob and Esau have a tense relationship uh, in their entire upbringing. Esau was the oldest of the sons, and so in their time and kind of how tradition was in most of their families, Esau, being the, uh, the oldest of the sons, would get the family inheritance when dad uh, kicked the bucket, and basically what that meant for him is that he got double all the, the money and possessions that Jacob would get. He would get the father's blessing and prayer on him, on Esau, because he's the older brother and not Jacob. Jacob got a little jealous, wanted it, and it kind of manipulated his way to get this family blessing Wealth and inheritance. And ever since then, there's been this tenseness between these two brothers, and it has led down through the generations into these two countries. So you have Edom from Esau, and you have uh, Israel from Jacob. Now, the time in which this story takes place is important. Last week, we were in the book of Haggai, and we were there after Israel had returned from their exile, returned from destruction, and in an attempt to rebuild the temple, well, we kind of saw how they were trying to do it, kind of, sort of did it, and worked through it, and um, the prophet Haggai worked through them. But this story takes place a little bit before then. This story takes place right after the destruction but right, pull it which way? Pull it back? A little too loud? Okay, doing my best. <laughs> it keeps slipping down. Kyle's got a bit bigger of a head than I do, apparently. I can't figure it out. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's a good one.
0: <laughs>
1: that's fun. <laughs> Obadiah takes place way before then. This takes place right after uh, the Babylon nation has come in and destroyed Israel. Israel's in the midst of destruction, exiled, and thrown out of their land. And what uh, Obadiah is coming and doing is speaking to the nation of Edom after they have acted kind of as a result of this. See what Edom did, as you would think, like a brother nation, someone next to them, watching their ancestry, like related, like nation next door, they saw them get destroyed, and they took advantage of them. They didn't help, Rather, they abused Israel, they plundered their cities that were closed, they killed, they destroyed, they even would send them back into captivity. And we're going to hear a little bit about what Obadiah is speaking to them and giving them a warning because of what they have done, which is why we get to a little bit of this kind of judgment theme, but we're going to work through this. So starting in verse one, if you want to follow along, we're going to read through this. Promise it won't take too long, it's 21 verses, be nice. It says this, The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Lord God has said about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let us go to war against her. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in clefts of the rock, In your home on the heights. Who say to you, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there I will bring you down. And this is the Lord's declaration. We're going to pause there real quick because I want to point you to some of the, the imagery and stuff that is being pointed out right here. You hear him talk about like this vivid thing. Edom, you are so high up as though you were soaring eagles, you're in the clefts of the rocks, your height. It's because they're literally that high up. Their nation is built in the side of the mountains, way above each and everyone else. So, literally, they do look down at the other nations because they are high up. But he's comparing it to not just them physically looking down, but kind of a heart. Uh, pride thing of them looking down amongst the other nations. And that's where we continue in verse 5. It says, If thieves came to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged would you be? Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, wouldn't they leave some grapes? How Esau will be pillaged. His hidden treasures searched out. Everyone who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive you and conquer you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, and you will be unaware of it. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom? And those who understand from the hill country of Esau, Tim and your warriors will be terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. And this is where it gets important right here. Says you will be covered with shame and destroyed because of violence that you have done to your brother Jacob. And here he goes into explaining what they were doing. On the day you stood aloof, on the day strangers captured his wealth while foreigners entered his gate, his city gate, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you. We're just like one of them. While Israel's being destroyed, he's saying Edom's just like one of them. He says in verse 12, do not gloat over your brother in the day of their calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not boastfully mock in their day of their distress. Do not enter my people's city gate in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their misery in the day of their disaster, and do not appropriate their possessions in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives. Do not hand over their survivors in the day of distress. In verses 11 through 14 here, he's explaining, Edom, this is what you've been doing. Your brother nation is being destroyed right now, and what you are doing is you're capturing the people that are trying to run away from this you're taking advantage of them. You're stealing their wealth. You're throwing them back into captivity. You're killing, you're abusing, you're gloating over them because it's not happening to you. And you're almost, feels like Edom has this joy that Israel's being destroyed in this. And remember, there's this tenseness that's been between these two families and almost this tenseness of like a rivalry between them. And it feels right here. And so Edom, with their pride and self-exaltation as though they're in the mountains, but they also see themselves above Israel, are glad that Israel, in their mind, is getting what they deserve. They are happy in taking advantage of this moment. They're taking advantage of Israel. And we hit verse 15. It says, for the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. Focus in on that. It goes from Edom, solely focused on them, we're at all the nations right now. And it says, as you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. Any nation, it says all nations here, doesn't say anyone's exempt from this. All nations, similar to Edom, will meet the same fate. They will get what they deserve, they will get As you have done, it will be done to you. The reason for this book is to show how Edom's pride and fall is an image of the pride and fall of all nations, of all people. It's a parable of how God will oppose pride and violence amongst people and amongst nations. But the story doesn't end here. Obadiah's message doesn't stop, and as the normal theme with most of the prophets, judgment— as kind of a big theme here, isn't God's final word. So don't stop there and just focus in on, oh, the destruction, the badness. No, listen to what God finishes by saying. 16 says, as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually, they will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. But there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispose those who disposed them. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire, and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore, no survivor will remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. There is a judgment here on Edom for what they have done in this moment. There's destruction, but what we hear right here is a future blessing for Israel and for the people. And it says, people from the Negev, will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who are in um, Haloth and who are among the Canaanites, as far as Zarephath, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem who are in uh, Sephard, will possess the cities of Negev. It's a lot of cities and a lot of names that he's listing off right here, but these are important Israelite uh, locations and places. But verse 21 is where we need to zero in. It said, Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country, but the kingdom will be the Lord's. Edom in this story acts as a prime example of pride in the human condition. Edom's downfall points to the coming uh, the coming of God's kingdom over all the nations. God's kingdom will go above all the nations. He begins to list the locations and places of this. It says all the nations, even Israel, even Edom, and the places around will come under God's kingdom. There will be a restoration in the midst of the destruction. The message here is a big one. And what we begin to see is is Edom and their pride in their heart and just the way in which they uh, allowed themselves to look down upon, not just physically, but heart and mentally and truly to a nation adjacent to them. They almost found joy in Israel's struggle. They found joy in Israel's pain. They cheered from the sidelines when they were going through a hard time. And God is calling this out through Obadiah, and he wants us to have that same message and that same understanding that when we see people who go through a hard time, who have a difficulty, it's often sometimes that we will find people in our life, people who maybe we've gotten along, uh, did not get along with, whom we have a disagreement with. There's people whom I guarantee that you could think about it that you've had some sort of quarrel to where you think to yourself, man, I hope they get what they deserve. Man, you know, maybe it's just karma or their decisions got them there and there's that little bit of almost like fist pump kind of underneath. You won't physically show it because you don't want people to see that because I would never think that about someone. But there's a little bit of heart, like joy or flicker or spark inside where you get that little bit of excitement. And what God's saying here is that he sees that and he hears that and he addresses that in Edom to make an example and an image for us of the pride and the self-exaltation that we can often have of putting ourselves above others in, inside, maybe not show it always outside, but in our own heart. Like, we go, well, yeah, they, they deserve that. You know, I, I'm, I'm not as bad. They've, they've definitely done that more. They've led themselves down that path that they deserve it. Don't rejoice in the struggle of others. And it's difficult, especially when it's those who have done you wrong. It's not easy. And the message that Edom wants us to hear here, well, Obadiah wants us to hear through Edom, is to help a brother in need, especially when you have the capacity to help in the moment. Don't just stand by, but when you see a need, meet that need. Be present with the person. Be there for it. It's easy to follow the human condition just like Edom. To be prideful, to be selfish, to be a little greedy, be a little jealous. That's the easy thing. It's natural. It happens. And we'd all lie if we said we've never done it. We've never been there. And that we won't do it again. It, it happens. It's who we are. We are broken people. And that's the, that's the tendency. But to place oneself higher than others and find satisfaction when others who maybe you disagree with or you have tenseness with or you struggle with, it's not the character of Jesus. And who we're called to be and who Jesus has shown us, it's the inner expression of the love of Jesus that transforms us inside and comes through us. There's this implication of almost not loving others. Like, there, there is an importance in it. It truly does affect others, but it also affects yourself. Last week, we were talking in, in Haggai a lot about kind of the inner self, the priorities we have, the decisions we make, the things we value most. And how if we want to see an, an outward expression, an outward change, we have to be able to be transformed internally. And allow God to bring the glory to it. We can put our hand to a lot of things, but it might not produce much because I can only get myself so far. But God can see us through anything. And in here, what we're hearing is what the action and transformation of love within us can affect those who are around us. There's a, there's a small section that I want to read from this book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And it's going to focus in a little bit on like your physical neighbors. But, but listen to the message that it talks about of the love of Jesus. I want to read this with you. This is what it says. When Jesus said that all the commandments can be summed up in loving God and loving our neighbors. He was probably onto something. What would happen if we all just did what Jesus said to do? What if we get to know our actual neighbors, the people we encounter in our everyday life? This sounds very simple, but it's often easy to miss. So let's turn this around for a moment. Sometimes it's a lot easier to see how not following Jesus can hurt us. It can hurt us personally. We can see that. We can understand that. Imagine for a moment what happens when people love each other well. Now, take a moment to imagine what happens when we don't love those whom we see each and every day. Odds are good that we are going to experience one of the three following if we don't show love. One, we'll experience isolation, we will live lonely lives. It's far too easy to leave our own house every morning with your head down because you got to get to work you got to grind it out come back home hurry inside get dinner take care of the kids get on to your next thing life is busy we all get that we never get to know the people around us and they don't get to know us in the midst of that the second thing that might happen is fear we become weary of people we become weary of our own neighbors and they become weary of us Whatever is unknown is scary. So when we don't get to know our neighbors and they don't get to know us, it's easy to imagine the worst out of them and for them to imagine the worst out of us. And the third one is misunderstanding. When we don't know our neighbors, it's easy to get the wrong idea for one another. He gives an example of a story here and he says, a friend of ours had a neighbor whose house was run down. The garage door was falling off the hinges Two dead cars sat out front, so he called code enforcement. And the officials came by and they ticketed the house, and a few days later, he was talking to some of the other neighbors about the blighted house in the neighborhood. He said, yeah, said the neighbor, I guess the woman who lives in that house, she lives alone, and her mother has cancer. She had to stop working to take care of her mom, and she's been at her mom's bedside 24 hours for the past few months, and you can only imagine how horrible that friend felt once he got the full story. Throughout the Bible, God tells us how to love our neighbors. He emphasizes that along with loving them, this is the most important thing we can do. God invites us to love the way he loves, and he challenges us to put our love into action. This type of love that Jesus shows and embodies in expresses, it's a lot easier said than done. Let's just, let's just be frank about that. And when we, when we think about this love, I feel like often we expect it to happen to us first. We expect the world to be the one to make the first move. Well, they can just come over and meet me. They should come and ask if they need help. We should not expect the world to take the higher road, to be the bigger man, to be the one who initiates As followers of Jesus, we get to show the world a different, unique, and selfless love that pursues people. And you may be the first person to show someone the love and grace of Jesus, and they've never encountered it before. Never underestimate the impact God can have through you. When we allow God to do a work in us, the transformation of love for each other, for those whom we don't like, those who we don't get along with, those who have done us wrong. God can do a great work through us. And the work might not always be for you. You might not reap a benefit from it, but it may be just for those who are around you and you don't know it. One of the most important things, I think, of this story that I find fascinating and it's kind of in our name is what you see in Esau and Jacob gets passed down for generations. Multiple generations later still exhibit the same tension and hatred and despisement towards each other. As we focus on being a place for generations to come, I mean, we get to think about that. Rather than passing down a prideful and self-exaltation, internally focused mindset, We have the opportunity to pass down the love of God through the next generations, through the kids back there screaming their heads off, banging on the wall, slamming the doors. Your actions and your words, whether you like it or not, whether you even notice it or not, have an impact on others. As we we say a lot around here, I'm glad Kyle mentioned it earlier, we, we say a lot, you're not alone, you're not forgotten and your story matters. So do those whom you encounter in your everyday life. You see at work, you see in your neighborhood, you even see online. I think that's one that we often kind of associate and kind of push off, but you encounter people online as well in your everyday life. There are people around us. Let us not be an internally focused community that can often become prideful of what we have or what we've done, but be a community that is externally focused on the community around us. How can we love? How can we meet in need? How can we not just throw out big words of, of helpfulness and love and show and grandeur to make us sound great, but how do we put that to action through love and through hands and through a transformed heart and God working through us and bringing glory to it? How do we take that love into our everyday lives with those we encounter in our community? Will you all pray with me? Father, I am am always grateful for opportunities to just be able to come and share, to be able to see how you are at work in our community, to be able to gather with those who just love you, God, who love each other. And God, it is always cool just seeing how you are at work here at Generations, the people that are here, the people who are online, the people who support this from a far distance. God, you are expanding your family. We are a part of that. Others are a part of that. Allow us not to forget that, but also not forget the call to see that family expand. God, we want to see new people. God, we want to see people who don't even know who you are or have never experienced you experience you and get to know you, and follow you, and know your love and grace that you have for them. God, your message is for all nations. It's not just for us. It's not just for Israel. God, you are for all people. Allow us to take that to heart, and God, for you to do a work in us. God, the Holy Spirit, you are present in each and every one of us, not just here on Sunday mornings, but You are present with us each and every day. Speak to us. Help us when to speak, when not to speak, how to have patience in the right moments. But at the end of the day, to show love and see where you can work. God, I pray for this community a blessing that you will continue to work in their lives so they see you tangibly know and hear you and get to share that with those whom they encounter. Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to Pastor John. If we have been a blessing to you, please consider donating to our ministry at mygenerations.church. You can also visit MyGenerations.Church to stay up to date and stay connected with what's happening in and around our church community. Tune back in soon to hear what we are teaching and learning together as a community. I hope we have helped your faith become an everyday faith and live and love well because of Jesus.